Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, as we conclude this series that we've been working our way through this month, Christmas in the Psalms, we're looking at a psalm that perhaps, as we read it, you may not connect to Christmas, but I hope we'll see how it does so. We'll actually be reading the first 21 verses of this psalm, Psalm 22, but before we do do so, let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we come to you this evening desiring once again to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and open our eyes of faith that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them to you. They cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, Do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why do we come back to Christmas hope every year? Why do we cherish our family traditions, our wrapping the presents and setting up the tree and decorating the house? Why do we make sure that Santa comes by? For many of us, he's already stopped by for pictures to turn up on Christmas Day. Why do we fight to make sure that that we and our children still believe 
still hope, still sing, still look for the star that leads them on. Why do we come back to Christmas hope? Why are we back here tonight? After all, for some of us, for many of us, these familiar words that open this psalm could easily be ours. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? Why, why, why? Why has this year been so hard? Why did I lose my mother, my father, my spouse, my child? Why did the unthinkable, the unspeakable, the unfixable happen? Well, why did I have to close down my business? Why did I have to let go of my dreams? Why did I see my, my husband, my wife walk away from our marriage? Why did I pray and pray and pray about these things and not hear God respond or answer or fix it? Why am I back here tonight? Back here looking, longing for Christmas hope. If that's you tonight, the, the words of this psalm don't feel very hopeful. In fact, you may wonder why in the world I chose to read it tonight. It's, it's not typically a psalm that we associate with Advent and Christmas. Rather, we, we most often read this around Monday, Thursday and Good Friday. Why read it now when you and I are desperate for hope? Desperate for inspiration, for some kind of encouragement? Well, there are good reasons, of course, to consider this psalm on Christmas Eve, the same good reasons that cause us to observe communion on Christmas Eve. While, while this song was sung by God's people for centuries prior to the coming of Jesus the Messiah, we who live on this side of the cross, this side of the empty tomb, this side of his coming, we can't help but read and hear these words through Jesus. And especially as we've been considering uh, Christmas in the Psalms this month, what, what Christ comes to be and to do, we, we must have these images in Psalm 22 right next to the images of Jesus as the forever king and the forever priest. Right, right next to the images of the one who, who rules from Zion's hill, who, who crushes his enemies. Right next to the images of the, of the great king who comes to woo and to win his bride. Right next to the images that we saw this morning of Christ, Lord of all, with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that he's Lord. Next to these images, we have to see Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, as abandoned. He's forsaken. To be sure, he's, he's forsaken by all kinds of people. That the psalm tells us in verse 6 that he is scorned by mankind and despised by the people. The run-of-the-mill people milling around the cross. The, the friends who flee when, when the police come to seek him. The, the wealthy and the powerful, as well as the poor and the weak. It doesn't matter who they are. They are people. And the people forsake, abandon Jesus. But far more agonizing is the fact that he is abandoned by God, forsaken by the Father, forsaken by his friend, by the eternal other. 
That, that's what draws out the cry of dereliction in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To be God forsaken. To be abandoned. To lose a sense of hope in the midst of helplessness. To cry out our why. This is real suffering. The suffering is felt and known and seen further in Jesus the Messiah being ignored. Verse 2 says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. He cries day and night. God does not answer him. Just like the poet in Lamentations, Jesus the Messiah feels as though God doesn't answer his prayers. And what makes it all so difficult, this, this silence of God, is that it hasn't been so, always. Yet, the psalmist says, Yet, Jesus says, yet in you our fathers trusted and you deliver them. Yet to you they cried out and were rescued. Yet in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But now, now the suffering one calls out and he's ignored. He's abandoned and he's mocked. In verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Far from being viewed as a king or a priest, he's not even viewed as a man. No, he's a worm. Something that corrupts and is corrupted. Something that destroys and is to be destroyed. And as people pass by, they mock and deride. They wag their heads at him. They hurl insults, especially about his trust in God. Was it that they say, verse 8, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Must have been the most cutting comments of all. As the suffering one recalls, yet you, you took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. Yet, you were the one who sent Gabriel, the angel, to my mother Mary, announcing my coming in her womb as the son of David and the son of the Most High. Yet, you were the one who caused John the Baptist to leap at the mere sound of my mother's voice. Yet, you were the one who protected me, even over the last final difficult days as Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. Yet you were the one who arranged an angel choir. You were the one who brought Gentiles to bow. You were the one who convinced my earthly father to take me to Egypt and to bring me to Nazareth. Yet you were the one upon whom I was cast from birth. From my mother's womb, Jesus could say, you have been my God. Even at the temple when I was 12 years old, you were my God and my Father. I was eager to be about your business. I've delighted in you, Father. And you've delighted in me. And yet, now, abandoned and ignored and mocked and abused. It's striking that everyone around the Messiah in this psalm, beginning in verse 12, is dehumanized. They treat him like a worm, and they become bulls and lions and dogs. They're circling him, surrounding him, 
opening wide their mouths to mock and revile and snarl. And the abuse is profoundly physical. It's not just psychological abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, but profoundly physical abuse. The psalmist speaks of my bones and my heart, my breasts and my strength, my tongue, and indeed, they've pierced my hands and feet, he says. But behind all of this abuse lies this startling fact. Surely these dehumanized humans are re bear responsibility. But who is doing this? God is. Verse 15. You lay me in the dust of death. That's why ultimately the Messiah can cry out to God in verses 19 to 21, but don't miss it. The Messiah, the Christ, is abandoned and mocked, ignored and abused because God willed it to be so. Why? Why? Well, here we come back to the beginning. Because God's why and our why come together here. Why are we back here again tonight, looking and longing for Christmas hope? We are here because Jesus the Messiah experienced all that we have. He is identified with our suffering. He's identified with our unspeakable, our unthinkable, our unfixable, identified with our losses, identified with our sense of God's silence. He's identified with it all as the one who is both God and man. And as a human being, he is able to sympathize with our weakness, but get it, as God he is able to as well. The God whom you feel has forsaken you knows how it feels to be forsaken. He has suffered and he has suffered with you. But you're here not simply because Jesus the Messiah suffered with us, but also because he suffered for us. As the, as the, as the hymn puts it, in our place, condemned he stood. And the one who was born at Christmas time, the one who was taken from his mother's womb into the father's own protection, the one who suffered and bled and died, did so not for himself, but for us. And in God's strange and wonderful way of working, it was actually by suffering with us and suffering for us that Jesus the Messiah would become the forever king and the forever priest. It was actually by his suffering with us and suffering for us that he would be the bridegroom who would have the glorious, beautiful robes of righteousness to give to you and me, sinners that we are, that we might become his bride. It's actually what Christmas, what the incarnation is all about. God became man to be the suffering one so that we who suffer might belong to God. That, my friends, is a place to anchor our hopes tonight, anchor our hearts tonight amid all our whys. This is the place of Christmas hope. 
It's the place of Christmas joy. It's what this table tells us. Why we celebrate this communion meal on the night before Christmas Day. It's these truths that cause us to want to sing all my heart this night rejoices as I hear far and near sweetest angel voices. Christ is born. Their choirs are singing till the air everywhere with joy is ringing. He becomes the lamb that takes sin away and for a full atonement maketh for our life his own tenders and our race by his grace meet for glory renders. Come then, banish all your sadness, one and all, great and small. Come with songs of gladness. Love him who with love is glowing. Hail the star near and far, light and joy bestowing. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, so many of us are carrying deep and profound whys. Things to which we will never have an answer this side of the new heavens and new earth. And even then, on that day, we may not get our answers, but we will not care. But for right now, we care and we struggle profoundly. Lord, on this Christmas Eve evening, as we look towards Christmas Day and the joy that it promises, grant us grace to see that we must make our way to that joy through your suffering. Because it's through your own suffering, your suffering in the humiliation of birth and of life, of opposition and persecution, and ultimately of death and burial, through this humiliation, that we are exalted to a place of great glory in your sight. Lord, please, do your work for us, we ask, even as we come to this meal. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.